0: Well, you know that's part
1: of our problem. Part of our problem is is uh, we depend on man too much, on self too much, and that song sure true. Like Jesus said, "Without me, uh, you can do nothing." Open your Bibles, please, to Second Kings, Second Kings, chapter number five. For several months now, on Sunday evening, we've been speaking about the Lord God of Elijah, and naturally that is carried over into the ministry of Elisha, and that's where we're at tonight. 2 Kings chapter number 5, we begin our reading in verse number 1. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is, in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the little maid, that is, of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Now, this is the story of a man with a serious problem. The problem is so serious that it seems there is no hope to be found anywhere. And you might be surprised how many people you know are in exactly that same situation. I don't mean they have leprosy. They might not have cancer. They might not have heart disease. They might be in good health. But they are at a crossroads in their life. They're facing a dilemma, and they don't know what to do. And they've tried everything they know. They've made every effort, and it's all been in vain. Now, that's the situation we find this man in. People that are hurting, people that need help, but people that feel hopeless. That's what this story is all about. For that reason, on several occasions, I've referred you back over to Romans chapter number 15, verse 4. I'm going to read it again. And you should always keep this verse in mind anytime you're reading a part of the Old Testament especially. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, that would include what we just read, right? Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, not our entertainment, our learning, that we through patience and comfort, notice this, of the Scriptures. That's what we've been reading, right? The Scriptures that we might notice have hope. God wants you to have hope. And here is a man in a hopeless situation in need of healing, and it seems there is nobody that can help. I want you to think about this leprous man first of all, because like the story of man, his story starts out on a good note. I mean, here's a man that appeared to have all of the advantages of life. Notice Notice the great description that's given here. There are four things. Notice his position. He's a captain of the host of the king. I mean, this isn't just some, some you know average person walking on the street. This guy is the captain of the army. I mean, here is a guy that is in charge of a lot of people. But then notice also his popularity. It says he was a great man. That indicates he was highly esteemed. Notice his prestige. It says he's honorable. That has to do with good morals and and, and even implies a certain degree of wealth. And so here is a man that is wealthy, of good morals, highly esteemed, in a high position. And notice the power. It says a mighty man. That is great accomplishments. So he has all of those things that the average person is looking for. All of those qualities that would make the average person seem like they are a great success in this world. This man has all of those things, but he was a leper. Notice his ghastly disease. He was a leper. Several years ago, there was an Associated Press report out of Brownsville, Texas, and it was discussing leprosy. And I'll, I'll never forget whenever I read it, and, and I began to jot down some things out of the article and probably have the article in my files somewhere, but they mentioned six things about leprosy. Uh, number one, leprosy has an effect on all social classes. And that article pointed out from a Mexican laborer to a highly respected San Francisco lawyer, both of them were affected with that horrible disease. Now, folks, listen, that's the way it is with sin. Whether you're a banker or a bum, a prostitute or the president or whoever you are, all of humanity has been adversely affected by sin. And you can put on a $500 suit, and it will cover up the leprosy, but it won't change it. And you can do all kinds of things trying to hide the fact that you are a sinner, but in the eyes of God, we've all sinned and come short of His glory. So this affects everybody. And then the article said that leprosy... Is hereditary. And they said in the article they had traced it back as far as five generations. Well, listen, we can trace our sin problem all the way back to Adam. This isn't something that just cropped up as a result of us being in bad circumstances. This didn't happen just because someone was deprived of something. This didn't happen just because somebody didn't get a good education. I get sick and tired of hearing all of that nonsense, you know. Well, the, you know, the answer to all of our problems is just education. Education. Listen, you can put these kids in a secular institution and educate them in the ways of the world and all you've done is make a worse sinner. I mean, they're going to be in worse condition than they were before because they're going to think they're right because they're educated. You see, education is not the problem. Education is not the solution. The problem is sin and the solution is Jesus. It's that plain and simple. And then it went on and it said that leprosy is spread by close contact. Well, we know that sin is contagious in that sense. The Bible says evil communications corrupts good manners. In other words, it has an effect upon us. I've heard people say, well, you know, I can still run with that same old crowd after I become a Christian, and it doesn't affect me. Well, I like what old Sam Jones, the circuit-riding preacher, said. He said, you lay down with the dogs and you'll get up with the fleas. And he's exactly right. That's what happens whenever we continue to live in close fellowship with those that know not the Lord. Sin has an effect on us. Another thing about leprosy is that leprosy sooner or later produces insensitivity. In other words, the leprosy, let's say, in the hand or in the foot, that particular area that is infected becomes insensitive. Now, this is where the grave danger is because they do not even realize when they've hurt themselves. In other words, they'll stump their toe on something. They don't realize they've even injured themselves. There is no pain in that area. Well, the result of that, of course, is further infection and further damage. And the end result is after a while the fingers begin to drop off, the toes begin to drop off, the eyebrows disappear, and eventually it results in blindness. This sounds just like sinners, right? Right? I mean, they're insensitive to their condition before God. They're blinded to the truth of God. And as the article said, leprosy had resisted medical research like no other disease. Now, I know in recent years, we at least in our mind, we've got a handle on it, you know. We're able somewhat to control it and to contain it. But looking back in ancient times, it gets real easy to see why leprosy is pictured as a type of sin. Because, I mean, people in those days that had leprosy, it was an absolutely hopeless situation with them. Nobody could help. It's the same way with sin. Man doesn't have a solution for sin. None whatsoever. Religion doesn't solve the sin problem. Good works can't solve the sin problem. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves acceptable in the sight of God. Now, notice what happens here. Look at his grievous desperation. I mean, this man is desperate. Merit could not help. We've already talked about that. All of these good qualities, none of them could solve his problem. Money could not help. In fact, the king sent money to the, to the king of Israel. said, now look, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you this money. I'm going to send the captain of my army down there. He has leprosy. I, I want you to make sure that he gets, that he gets healed. And the king of Israel said, who do you think I am, God? You're trying to pick a fight with me. I'm not God. I can't kill and I can't make alive. I mean, that's, that's not within my power. And so he understood there was nothing that he could do. Merit couldn't help. Money couldn't help. Man couldn't help. I mean, here's even the king of Israel with all of his power and the king of Syria with all of his power, they couldn't do anything to solve his problem. And all of us have problems of different sorts that we can't solve and nobody else can solve. And that's why we need the Lord. I love that song that says, people need the Lord. They really do. Now here's the problem. We talked about it this morning somewhat. People need the Lord and they know they need something, but they don't know anything about the Lord. So how in the world can they get the information they need that would make a difference in the life, the information that would give a hopeless person hope? Where do they get that from? They get it from those who know the Lord. Listen, God has so designed His plan that He uses human instrumentality to spread His Word. Think about that. We talked about witnessing this morning. God could have written it, the gospel in the sky, but He didn't. God could have put it in the mouth of the songbirds to sing it, but He didn't. God could enable a woodpecker to get on a telephone pole and tap it out in Morse code, but He didn't do that. He committed unto you and I the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave us the answer, the solution to man's problem. Now, somebody else enters into the picture. There's the leprous man, but now we see a little maid. And this little maid, it seems like everything is against her. Whereas with the leprous man, everything was going his way, but he was a leper. But notice some things about this little maid. First of all, her captivity. I mean, war is a terrible thing. And here is a a, a, a little maid that had been taken. Now, now, think about that for a minute. Because when we think about her captivity, that brings to mind her condition. And it, you can describe it in two words. Number one, separated. Number two, slavery. She's separated from her family, her friends, her dreams, her plans. Everything is gone. Now, you imagine what it would be like for... One of these teenagers, let's say, to be suddenly snatched out of their home, taken away into a different country, into captivity, and forced into labor there. That's what she's going through. She's not free to do as she pleases. Here's something we need to remember. Circumstances never relieve us of our obligations to God. A lot of times we got the idea, you know, God will excuse me because this is going to be difficult. And that's just not true. I'll tell you, the cross was difficult, folks. Wasn't anything easy about Jesus there on the cross. Suffering, pain, agony beyond anything that we can even imagine. But why would He subject Himself to suffering such as that? Because it was the Father's will. He had come to do the Father's will. You know, we think about this matter of bearing our cross. Have you heard someone say, you know, well, in regards to a difficulty they're going through, and they say, well, I guess this is my cross that God wants me to carry. When the Lord speaks about us bearing our cross, it's not in the context of the average, ordinary difficulties that's common to all men. Your rheumatism and arthritis and things, that's not the cross God wants you to bear. The cross that we are to carry has to do with those difficulties that we encounter as a result of doing the will of God in our life. I mean, it's the very nature of discipleship to subject us to difficulties. That's why he said if a man's going to be my disciple, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, notice, daily, every day. And we need to ask ourselves, you know, what is it costing me as a Christian? Now listen, it doesn't cost you anything to become a Christian, but it will cost you everything to be the right kind of Christian. The denial of self. And so here she is in captivity in this horrible condition, but notice her character. From all indication, she did not become bitter. I, we read of no nowhere of any expression on her part that she's bitter. I'm not sure I would have fared as well as that little maid did. How about you? taken away from your family and your friends, your dreams, your plans into a far country, subjected to hard labor, living under the thumb of of a dictator, as it were. I mean, how would you feel about that? Most of us would get bitter. But there's no bitterness, listen, and there's no complaining. Now, those are two different things. It's one thing to get bitter. It's another thing to express your bitterness. And most of us, when we get bitter, we feel like we've just got to express it, but we don't. She did neither one. There's no bitterness. There's no complaining. She did her job. It says she served Naaman's wife. Here's a woman that's working, woman doing her job, not crusading for her rights. And because of that, she was highly respected. And her attitude had great influence. Think about it. She evidently, had been trained at home. I mean, these things don't come natural. And she said, you know, if there's some way, if there's some way we can get Naaman back back home, get him back to the preacher back home, the preacher there could help him. And that tells me that she had compassion in her heart. She cared about people. She's concerned about others when others would be concerned only about self. That ought to be characteristic of all of us. You know, it's real easy for us to get all bent out of shape because we're not getting the attention that we want, or because somebody is mistreating us, and so you know they've neglected us and abused us, or or whatever it is. But we need to stop and think sometimes about the difficulties that you know that we impose on 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 other people. And our lack of concern and lack of compassion for them. So here is a woman who in our mind has every right to be bitter. Every right to complain. And what does she do? She's concerned about somebody else. And that brings us to the matter of courage. I I, I just can't imagine how difficult it would be. Remember, she's a servant. In those days, they, they didn't speak to unless they were spoken to. I mean, they didn't just engage in conversation with the... Heads of the house and things of that nature and people in authority. She's just a servant, just, just a slave. And it took courage for her to do what she did. To make a suggestion like this. I mean, look, she's setting herself up to look like an idiot. She says, you get him back there and the prophet of God can, can solve his problem." Where did that courage come from? It came from her confidence. That's where our courage comes from. The Bible speaks about the children of God there in the early church, and it talks about them, and it says they were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Now, this is after they've been threatened with jail and even death. I mean, they said, look, you cannot speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they went right out there and boldly continued to proclaim His name. Why? Because of their confidence. And we see that confidence in this woman. She believed that God could help. And because of that, she offered her counsel to others. Now, here's what we learn out of this, folks. God can use plain, ordinary people just like this little maid to accomplish great things. Isn't that good? You don't have to be the most intelligent person in town or the richest person in town or anything else. All you've got to do is to be willing for God to use you. You say, Well, but I don't have any special talents. You don't need any special talents. The greatest ability that you can have is availability to say, Lord, here I am. I'm not much without you, Lord. I can't. I can't do anything. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I can't do anything, Lord. But here I am. Make yourself available to God. That's what that little maid did. She didn't preach a sermon. She, you know, she didn't do a lot of things that other people could do. She said, "You just get him to the preacher, and the prophet can solve his problem." Now. Let's read about the liberating miracle that takes place next, beginning in verse 8. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. I like that, don't you? I mean, listen, there's no reluctance on his part. I mean, he says, you get him here, I'm going to show him that there's a man of God in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elijah sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now, follow this story close. It's interesting. But Naaman was wroth. And we'd say in Missouri, he's madder than an old wet hen. I mean, he's ticked off big time. He's mad. Notice, he was wroth and he went away and said. Now, notice what Notice what caused the problem. Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and far, far of the rivers of Damascus better than all of the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them? In other words, he's saying, can I go back home to the tricks back there and take a dip in them and be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, Now listen carefully, my father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. And then went he down and dipped himself seven Times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Isn't that amazing? We see him, first of all, reluctant. In other words, he stumbled over the simplicity of all of this. He would have done something great. I mean, that's what what his servant told him. He said, look, what are you doing? You're a leper. You need help, and you're letting your anger get the best of you. You're going back home. Your problem's not solved. You're going to die of leprosy. And, and why? If he had asked you to do something great. In other words, if, if Elisha had said, Look, now I can solve your problem, but it's going to take every penny of your sayings. you know what he would have done? He would have anted up. He would have said, Here it is. I've got, I'm dying anyway. I've got no use for this money. Here, I'll give it all. And I'm quite confident if he would have said, now look, if you'll build a big temple or if you'll you know, crawl on your hands and knees or, or, or something that would have been really difficult. If you go out and conquer an army. He'd been willing to do any of those things. But this is all so simple. In other words, in his mind, it's just too easy. And that's why he suggested a substitute plan. Listen, folks, that's exactly what religion is, a substitute plan. We think about salvation that the Lord provided and and it's simply based on the fact that if we but believe, and religious man, proud man, says, look, there's got to be more to it than that. Surely, it's going to depend somewhat on our good works, our religious efforts or whatever. And that's why man has always added something to it, you see. And when we do that, we nullify the effectiveness of the sacrifice of Christ. It's of no avail to us when we try to add. You can't add anything to the gospel because you destroy The possibility of being saved when you try to add something else to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why I like that old song, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. Just as simple as believing. I'll never forget when my dad made a profession of faith many years ago, laying there in the hospital bed. I'll never forget what he said He said in the first place, he said, Son, I want you to know that was the hardest thing your daddy's ever done. By that, my daddy was a very private man, a very quiet man. And uh, it was really difficult for him. He's the kind raised back then when, you know, real men don't cry kind of stuff. You you know what I mean. And it was difficult for him laying there to, to... To call upon the Lord and trust the Lord to save, but then he made this statement. But he said, "If I if I had known that it was that easy, I would have been saved a long, long time ago." See, my dad, back as a young man, had gone to church with mom back when they first got married. And grandma, my grandma, was a Pentecostal holiness. And I mean, you know, those are the people that you get somebody in the church, and I, with the invitations given, they grab them by the arm and get them down there. And you got one person on one side shouting in their ear, and you got somebody in the back beating them on the back, screaming for them to pray through and on. And, and, and Dad, Dad said, "I'll never go back to church again." He didn't. Not until I got saved, until I surrendered to preach, and Dad started coming. But you see how easy it is for people to get confused. The Bible says if we believe, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. It's just that simple, folks. It couldn't be any easier than that. And if you're depending on baptism and church membership or anything else, there's no possibility of you having your sins forgiven and being saved, there's no substitute. Naaman said, look, I can go back home and the river's back there. They're a lot better than the old muddy waters of Jordan. Why don't I go back there and do it? Well, because that's not the plan. So he is first reluctant, but finally responsive. And there are three things about this. When I say he was finally responsive, three things entered into this. That's humility, faith, and obedience. He had to humble himself, right? He had to have the faith to act and had to obey the command. Now, you say, well, see there, I mean, it has to do with our obedience. Well, it sure does. And somebody says, you mean we're saved by obeying the Lord? Absolutely, we're saved by obeying the Lord. But you better understand what God expects of the sinner. This is the will of God, the Bible says, that you believe on Him that He hath sent. That's the will of God, and you can't be saved without obeying the Lord. That has nothing to do with your baptism and everything else. It has to do with you believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He was fully recovered. Now this is so wonderful. Immediately, when He acted in faith, when He was obedient. To The Word of God immediately was cleansed and his flesh became like the flesh of, of, of a little child. God did not just make him comfortable in his condition. He changed his condition. That's exactly what He wants to do for every one of us. I'm so glad that when the Lord saved me that He didn't say, Now look, I've saved you. I'm going to let you be a part of my family. And when you die, I'm going to take you home to heaven. Now, that would have been so wonderful, but but there was more than that. Nor did he say, now look, I will save you, but you've got to get out of this bar room. And you're going to have to go from one bar stool to another and closer and closer and closer to the door until finally you get out of the door and then when you quit all of that, then I'm willing to save you. No, he loved Thus, while we were yet sinners, right there in our wretched condition, as the song says, just as I am, He loved us right there, and He saves us just as we are. But listen, folks, then He begins to bring about change in our life. And that's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. We become something new, something we've never been before. No, we don't get a new body, but there's a new person Within us, as it were, we have a new nature now. Isn't that wonderful to think about? Because salvation's not the old being fixed up. I mean, when the Lord solves our problem, He solves it completely. And that's what we see here, and it's instantaneous, not a process. So here, look in verse 15. We see the life manifested. And he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now, now get this, remember who he is. No religious training or any such thing as that. The only Bible he's had to read so far is that little maid. Behold, now I know that there is no God in all of the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So here we see that his cure is instantaneous. His change is incredible. I mean, he's already talking about giving. Man, there's some people claim to have been a Christian for 30 years and they're not talking about giving. Verse 7 or verse 16. But he said. As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burdens of the earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offerings? Are you getting this, folks? No more burnt offerings nor sacrifice to other gods but unto the Lord. In other words, that's like saying, look, from this point on I am totally sold out to Jehovah, the God of Israel. What a change! And that brings me to the last point, and that is that His conversion is inspirational. I mean, I don't know how this affects you, but I tell you, it impacts my heart because it tells me that there is hope even in the worst of cases if we turn to God. Now, your problem... Not like His problem. You don't have leprosy. But the fact is we all have problems of some sort or another. And the same God that healed Him is able to meet our needs if we'll trust Him. There is hope. That's what I'm trying to say. There is hope for each and every one of us. And that's what Paul said back there in Romans 15.4. Those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. God wants you to have hope. Don't worry about the circumstances and so forth. Just be like that little maid and say, Look, given the choice, I certainly would not subject myself to these these severe trials and so forth. But this is where I'm at. I mean, this is this is the way it is. And we find ourselves there all of the time, don't we? I mean, this is what we've got. We can't change it. This is life. It's where we're at. And do like that little maid. Don't get bitter. Don't complain. Just let God use you where you are because there's somebody that God will bring you in contact with somebody that feels hopeless that God wants to help. You know, I talked this morning about Bev being in McDonald's and that uh, that, that waitress there making mention. Well, I won't retell the story, but had a prayer request. Now, she's got another friend in Whataburger. Jessica's her name. A sweet little girl works there in Whataburger. And I tell you, they'd be, they, she leave, when we go in, she leaves the counter, comes around, and they're hugging out there. You think it's their old long lost friend or something. And she goes on vacation and she brings Bev something and, and stuff like that. And the reason I bring that up, folks, is, is because of this. Let God use you where you are Amen. you know every everything everything that we do during the course of the week the people that we come in contact with take advantage of that because it's not by accident we are where we are I uh, did, how many of you read uh, Diane Arnder's letter today did you Help me remember, how many how many of her doctors have been saved there as a result of that? Two or three doctors. She's over there eating up with stage four cancer, folks. And here she is on the mission field trying her best to get out there and teach vacation Bible school and do a work for God. And we wonder, well, this is just so unfair. Listen she 's rejoicing that her doctors that have been able to lead lead at least two of them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. don't curse your trials, Amen. just embrace them and let God use them. There's somebody that feels hopeless, and God can use you to help. Let 's stand together, Father. How we thank You, Lord, for using somebody in our lives. Every one of us right here tonight, we can think of someone that You used as a special instrument. It might be the person that told us about Jesus that led to our salvation. And Lord, at other times it might have been somebody that in the midst of our trials, when we did not know how we could possibly bear up, and here they came right along at our side and by their actions said, let me help you. Thank you, Lord, for using people like that. And Lord, help us to be people like that. Help us to take an active part in somebody's life and show them that with Jesus, there's hope. We lift up.